0: Hey, top news listeners, this is Luke Garrett.
1: And Megan Cloherty. We're the hosts of WTOP's daily local news podcast, The DMV Download. Don't worry, top news from WTOP isn't going away, but we wanted to drop in and give you a taste of what we're producing a podcast that goes deeper into the biggest stories of the day.
0: If you like what you hear, head over to the DMV Download podcast and subscribe.
1: It's Friday, December 16th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is The DMV Download. Brought to you by Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Today, our area is expecting a surge in migrants making their way from the Texas-Mexico border as a COVID-era asylum rule is set to expire. It sounds complicated, but it amounts to a lot of fear, a lot of people seeking help, and a strain on the existing local resources that are set up for them. Krish Omara Vinaraja, who runs a Baltimore-based nonprofit immigration group, joins us to explain the impact we could feel here.
2: You know, we've been working with the administration, we've been working with other faith-based nonprofits to say, look, it can't be that once Title 42 ends, nothing changes. We've got to be prepared in terms of putting a system in place.
1: And is Die Hard really a holiday movie? Don't worry, we don't get into that. But I do have two special guests from the newsroom to talk about a lot of things we consider holiday-themed that just don't make sense. Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. Luke has the day off. It's unclear exactly how many people may be crossing the border in the next few days with their final destination set for the DMV. But there's a sense that it could be significantly higher than normal at a time of year when nonprofits normally see increased need. Joining me now to talk about it is Krish Omara Vignaraja, who is president and CEO of Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service. Uh, Thanks for being here. Let's start with just to get a sense of what kind of numbers we're talking about. And I know it's hard to predict, but... On average, how many migrants come to our region on a monthly basis or seek seek help from you guys on a monthly basis? And how do you expect that to grow?
2: Yeah, so we are already seeing a slight uptick in the region in terms of the numbers of children, families and individuals um, arriving in our region Uh, at the border um, because obviously I think it is a reflection of what we will see in the days to come. Uh, in the past few weeks, there's been an average of about 8,000 arrivals each day, with about 2,000 of those arrivals in El Paso alone. Um, and we just know that this will you know, increase uh, with time.
1: And as far as our region goes, why are we expecting to see more people as opposed to it kind of evenly spreading out across the U.S.? That may be a silly question,
2: but... No, it's, it's a great question, and I think it highlights the strength of our region in many ways. The DMV tends to be a magnet for new arrivals because of ample job opportunities, um, support networks, meaning that many have friends or families here. Mm. Um, so our focus is really how can we help them? How can we connect them to their um, you know, family, uh, friends that are here, but also just the community support that exists, but it's just about main, you know, making those connections.
1: Chris, is there any scenario where you cannot accept migrants or don't have the resources? Like, is there a threshold here where you start to get nervous? Like, oh, we're getting to a point where we are not going to be able to help everybody as we want?
2: Yeah, so that's what keeps me up every night, to be candid, Um, you know, this work is not funded by the government. Uh, You know, by contrast to the refugee resettlement infrastructure, which is a well-established program. It's supported by the State Department, Health and Human Services. When it comes to asylum seekers, there is really nothing. And so we need to do the private fundraising. We need to reach out to volunteers. That's how we are able to provide services. And, you know, with every surge, um, it's a grave concern about how many of these children, how many of these families we can help.
1: I think when you are not working on the ground or you're not seeing their faces, right? It's all numbers. But is it you? You you're working on a personal level. So when somebody comes to you and says, "Can you help me and my family?" It's a different feeling than oh, five people have arrived or the number goes up by five. Yeah,
2: yeah exactly. And this is where you learn to be scrappy um, because you obviously want to do what you can to help. Um, in the short term, we're talking about key needs like finding a roof to put over their heads, uh, food, clothes, um, English classes. Uh, In the long term, it's about helping them navigate the job market once they've gotten their employment authorization documents, um, finding legal representation, getting their kids enrolled in public school. Obviously, all of these are critical needs, and so we try to meet as many of them as we can.
1: I'm interested, is there anything that you do that then pulls away, like in giving this theoretical family of five what they need um, to be comfortable, to get into schools, like you just said, is that taking away at all from the community?
2: It's not. And I think it's a really important question because it's not zero sum. You know, I do get the question sometimes of, well, what are we doing to help those who are unhoused here or, you know, children in grave needs? There are organizations with a specialization like LIRS where our focus is on these individuals. We look to funders who have a, you know, specific focus as well. And so it's not as though we're cannibalizing um, resources that would otherwise go to, let's say, native born Americans.
1: Um, and this is all happening. This influx um, of migrants is happening in part due to the expiration of Title 42. Can you explain what that is? I, it's a little complicated when you hear about, you know, oh, this is, this is legalese, but it's essentially putting a deadline on some people who are trying to or have plans to come to the U.S.
2: Yeah, so Title 42 is a purported public health measure that was implemented during the Trump administration and largely continued under the Biden administration. Um, Although it's really worth stressing that experts, officials have said that there is no underlying public health basis for it. Mm. So it essentially allowed for people to be summarily expelled at the southern border. And I think it's important to understand that for many of those who are crossing the border, they have a legal right that is recognized in U.S. and international law to seek asylum, to be able to make that claim.
1: Um, and Title Forty Two, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm tr- still trying to understand it, but it's set up for those seeking asylum for political reasons. Is that correct?
2: So it, Title Forty Two is a, it's a policy that basically um, suspends asylum protections at the border, and it instead allows officials to expel the asylum seekers without so much as an interview or a court hearing.
1: Okay, so basically, um, no, you can't come in. And this exactly. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, so the fact that it's expiring, wouldn't that mean that more people could come in after it expires?
2: Yes, absolutely. And so that is the concern. You know, we've been working with the administration, we've been working with other faith based nonprofits to say, look, it can't be that once Title 42 ends, nothing changes, we've got to be prepared in terms of putting a system in place. Because we are, you know, locally headquartered here in this region, but we have a national footprint. What we've said is that we can actually provide a model of basic care for these families. So they're not just left on the streets.
1: Hmm. And since legal pathways have been dwindling, asylum has really been the only option for some people. Um, As we kind of look on a broader level, in your view, would it help to create other pathways than just political asylum for those who want to come to the United States?
2: Yeah, that's the thing, right? I regularly hear people say, well, they should come the right way. And I think it's important to understand that these days there isn't really a right way so many pathways have been blocked last year we had the lowest immigration into the country since 2010 really and so when yeah so when you see 20,000 ukrainian refugees coming across the border you've got to ask the question why and the answer is because there weren't any real pathways that were Otherwise available to them. And so that's where reform can't just be focused on what happens at the southern border. It means that we need to have a robust refugee resettlement infrastructure. It means that we have to have economic visas that recognize that we have 10 million jobs that are going unfilled.
1: I was going to say, because it is happening, it is a reality. So whether the government's dealing with it or not dealing with it, it it obviously changes drastically the infrastructure and the resources that are available when they arrive. And it's all on you guys, essentially, right? I mean, to, to set them up.
2: Right. And, and that's where it's just important to understand people will find a way. And, and when we mm-hmm. say people, we're talking about desperate parents who they're fl- fleeing gang violence. They're fl- fleeing threats to their families. And they would do what candidly any parent would do, which would be to get their children to safety.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm interested in the cartel angle of this. And I know this yeah. is a little bit of a curveball, but I imagine if you're nervous about how you're going to cross, if you have this deadline of Title 42 looming over your family, um, you don't really know where you're going to go and what to expect. And then when you get to the border, there is this—you know—dominated. The whole crossing is dominated by cartels who are trying to make money, trying to get people, you know, into whatever scenario they want them to be in to benefit the cartel. How? <laughs> I don't even know what the question is, but it's just—is <laughs> how do the cartels complicate? And that seems like such a simplistic question. yeah, but how would they complicate the process that's already so difficult?
2: yeah, the the drug cartels, the human smuggling operations are a core part of the problem. Frankly, they're the only ones who benefit from what has been a thirty years failed deterrence only strategy that is our immigration policy because it's a billion dollar industry for them. And what they do is they exploit, Families with young children, they exploit uh, women um, and girls. They realize that those are the ones who are most vulnerable um, uh, to you know being preyed on, and so they ratchet. You know, it's it's a racket for them.
1: Yeah, and whether you think deterrence is you know the right way to address immigration or not, it's clear that hardly anyone thinks the policies in place work.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, is there any change on the horizon? You know that you can see either on a state level as far as infrastructure goes in, in Maryland or on a national level? Have you been consulted at all about, you know, where we go from here?
2: Yes. Yeah, so, so we've had conversations, um, you know, with the with the White House, uh, Department of Homeland Security, Congress. Um, there are solutions. And my hope is now that we're past the midterm of, you know, both folks on both sides of the aisle will be open to some real discussions. I don't think that You know, whatever comprehensive immigration reform means these days, um, that's on the horizon. But I do think there has to be some baseline reforms where we can recognize that orderly immigration, having a system in place, is both the right thing to do and the smart thing to do for a country like the U.S., where immigration is pivotal, whether it's talking about innovation, whether it's talking about, you know, our history as a country, or just recognizing that inflation and supply chain shortages are being impacted by the limited immigration system right now.
1: My last question is just given the time of year we are in, a lot of kids are going to be off school and come back in Baltimore maybe and have new classmates. I know you spoke with my colleague Stetson Miller about how you know some of these migrants are showing up with the clothes on their back. They don't have winter coats. Um, what strain does this put on LIRS um, from a resource perspective to like just the basics, like just to get them set up and get them in a shelter, um, locally and is there anything that um you would like the community to know if they want to help
2: so appreciate that question because i will tell you that my day job is is a hard one in some ways but uh, especially around the holiday season just seeing the generosity of the american spirit it's incredible um We are always in need of certain things. Um, And so if folks are interested in how they might be able to donate or get involved, uh, they can go to LIRS.org. But as you said, with families who come with uh, really just the clothes on their backs, winter coats, um, gloves for kids, even shoelaces for the children who are coming out of detention. Mm. Um, When those are confiscated, you know, they help when it's raining or it's sleet. Um, And so all of those things, we always try to update um, our our neighbors about what we're looking for. And I've just been amazed by how each time uh, we're able to meet the need, thanks to our community.
1: I know that this is a very politicized um, topic, but when you think about you know, the impact this is gonna have on our community and the, the fact that it's a reality um, and it's something that our community is is facing, um, it, it helps to just sort of talk it out and figure out what the resources are and what we do with the reality we have. Chris, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
2: Appreciate you having me. Happy holidays.
1: And coming up after the break, there are some things labeled for the holiday season that just don't make sense. We'll talk about it with two special guests from the newsroom. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial, heating, cooling, HVAC or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602. Changing lives. Search American Nightmare Podcast on all podcast platforms. And before we go, I have two very, very special guests here in the podcast booth with me. Rick Mosmo and Dave Preston. And you guys are here to talk about?
0: Holiday stuff. (laughs) What's what's holiday stuff that isn't holiday stuff and what isn't holiday stuff that is?
1: Okay, so Peterson, I, I call you Peterson. Yeah. Can we talk about movies, because you're the movie guy. Yes.
0: Now, I know that a lot of people say that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. A lot of people say that it is not. I'm not even going to address that at this point in time. Most I'm going to say ever. that <laughs> the best Christmas movie that might not be really a Christmas movie is the James Bond thriller On Her Majesty's Secret Service, starring George Lazenby, an actor whom I have met. Whoa. Wait, 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 what? <laughs> at the Spy Museum, yes. We wait, met wait, at the Spy whoa, whoa,
3: whoa, whoa. You have met George Lazenby? Yes. This is taking I've a taken turn. multiple pictures is- with him. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is a story that I've never heard once I wish or twice it, a week wish a happy for the past 10 years or September, anything. I wish him
0: a happy birthday every September, whatever. Uh, no, the uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service takes place in uh, Switzerland, and it takes place during the holiday season, and there's some background music, and uh, the song is, Do You Know How Christmas Trees Are Grown? So <laughs> that you got this song underplaying while he's being chased by the bad guys. Spectre is shooting at him, and you hear, Do You Know How Christmas Cards Are Made? Wow. And wow. Telly Savalis delivers the line, Merry Christmas 007. He gives his angels of death Christmas presents that are actually uh, they're uh, how they're going to destroy the world. Wait, wait, So, wait. so you,
1: it sounds like you are arguing that this movie is not a Christmas movie. I'm saying but it is it a Christmas be. movie.
0: It is, yeah, it is a Christmas. It, it should be a Christmas movie. you are flipping the whole movie. thing
1: on its head. We're doing things that are labeled holiday that shouldn't be. Okay, but then still I'm going to ex- go with
0: Gremlins. Gremlins <laughs> is the one. <laughs> wow. Why? Yeah. Because it's it's it has nothing to do with Christmas. Okay, just takes place during Christmas. Well, Can we talk about how Harry think... Bailey's a jerk and it's a Wonderful Life? I don't and how think Sam the Gremlins annoying?
1: is Gremlins considered a holiday movie?
3: You're looking at me. I have I not hope seen not. it. I hope <laughs> All
1: right. I don't. Okay, Rick. Yeah. You're gonna have
3: to recut this.
1: Probably, Rick. Music.
3: Yes. Well, so there are so many uh, there are so many songs that are considered holiday songs, Christmas songs that are not actually about that at all. Um jingle bells for, for crying out loud, <laughs> jingle bells, sleigh ride, winter wonderland. These are not about Christmas. These are not about the holidays. Let it the, snow. Let it snow. Uh let it snow, also known as the consensual version of baby it's cold outside.
0: You could even uh, say the last Christmas isn't about Christmas. It's about heartbreak.
1: Oh wow. well mm, But the word Christmas is in it. At it's least. a little more
3: tenuous. Once
1: bit and yeah. twice
3: shy. <laughs> But yeah, these are all all songs about having fun outdoors in the cold, snowy weather. It's just that Christmas time is the time that we allow ourselves to sing it. And you could sing Sleigh Ride in January or February, but no one ever does. And that's indicative of something, and I have no idea what, actually.
1: (laughs) But thankfully, the Mariah Carey Christmas song ends at the end of December. Well, it has to. Oh, gosh. Okay, so Google released a um, state-by-state list of Christmas cookie recipes that are dominating that state's searches, and it is underwhelming at best.
0: What's the DMV give us?
1: Okay, Virginia has Christmas bar cookies, which, as far as I can tell, are just, like, cookie brownies that have red and green M&Ms in them. I'm going to
3: assume bar cookie refers to the shape, because otherwise... It's, that just doesn't sound like a good thing. They're
1: cut like brownies. I, I mean,
3: I've been in bars where, like, yeah, I don't want the bar <laughs> cookie of this bar.
1: No, not like, not like uh, beer nuts. You
0: okay. know what works for me? Peppermint stick ice cream during the holidays. Oh,
1: but that's we're talking about cookies, Peterson. Oh, yeah,
0: but I but like you, that. You yeah, you throw yeah. a cookie in there.
1: That's true. That's a good point. Maryland and DC chose gingerbread, but I'm bringing this up because there are a lot of cookies in here that could be eaten. Throughout the year.
3: <laughs> all cookies could be eaten throughout the year. I know. Seriously. But they, they have That's nothing
1: right. to do with Christmas. That
3: sort of dovetails with the Christmas thing I'm talking. I used to. With, I, the, with the music thing I'm peanut talking Peanut
1: butter about. blossoms, the peanut butter cookies that have like the Hershey's Kiss in Buckeyes, them. Yeah, yeah.
3: they're called as well.
1: They sell Hershey's Kisses all year round, people.
3: Yeah, uh, they right. sell flour all year <laughs> round, too.
0: I once had a really bad job. This is 25 years ago. I had this job that wasn't ideal, and but the general manager's wife made Buckeyes every year for Christmas. And I probably stayed at that job <laughs> two years longer than I should have just to score the Buckeyes.
1: You should have written her a note when you no, left I... and said, this is the reason why I stayed. Apparently, oh, yeah, Italian yeah. The, Christmas yeah. cookies are like dominate the whole Northeast. Yeah.
3: So so here's here's my question, and this may be a, a, a shot across the bow of the entire Google search industrial complex. Oh, gosh. But when you Google something, isn't that because you don't know it?
1: <laughs> Maybe you know it, but you just want the recipe in this situation. Good well, point.
3: I mean, I this the things I make all the time, I know the recipe too, and I don't have to Google it.
1: Well, that's a decent point, Rick. Thank you. That'll do it for us today on the D M V download. We are sponsored by Steamfitters Local Six O Two and our music is by Real World. Thank you guys for coming in. Thank yeah, you. Sure. Leave us a review and rate our show if you get the chance. And let us know what you're doing this weekend on social media. We are posting every day on all of the places. You can also become a DMV VIP at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in D.C., 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at wtop.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a great weekend.